podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Boys. Come on, boys. Boom, the boys are back. And boy, it is more fun to talk about big time wins. And that is what we get to do. Your K-State Wildcats are 18 and 3. We will talk about, you know, that K-State Florida game. Uh we'll touch on what is going to be happening uh in the coming week. Uh, tomorrow's episode, I'm going to try to keep it more focused on uh, this past Saturday, K-State K versus Florida, Big 12 versus the SEC, because tomorrow, uh, as you guys are listening, you will hear me talk about uh, the Big 12 race and the Big 12 conference as we're sitting here just one game away from hitting the midway point. Before we get started, as always, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Manhattan Brewing Company. Folks, I'm recording this on Kansas Day. First and foremost, I'm, I'm so thankful to be born a Kansan. I'm so happy that I was able to buy my home back in the state of Kansas. And Manhattan Brewing Company is the best brewery in the entire state of Kansas. I love them, and you guys should too. They always have fun events going on at the brewery. On February 8th, folks, this is basically all meant for me. They have a beer and spirits pairing with Jay Rieger and company. Four beers paired to four cocktails and spirits from Jay Rieger. Sam from Rieger will be there to go over the portfolio and pairings. Tickets are online through the Manhattan Brewing Company website. They are limited. So please get over there and check it out. Let's get into the game. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I'm going to try to keep this in the same formula I've been going, kind of off the court stuff to on the court stuff to post game stuff. First and foremost, anyone who follows me on Twitter, uh, and, and I think I've kind of mentioned this on the show before, uh, I, I talk about because this is one of the stupid things that I am interested in. This is one of these things that I care about that really have no meaning. It has no effect on really anything. So if you want to fast forward four minutes, maybe, hopefully I'll keep it under that. Uh, feel free. My feelings won't be, be hurt. But it was the Lavender Out game. And I actually was relatively pleased with what I saw from inside the stadium. Now, you guys who watched at home, watched the game, you'll have to let me know if it was noticeable or if it was just like, oh, okay, like you couldn't really tell. I thought there was more lavender amongst the non-students than I anticipated. Not enough uh, for it to like really, I mean, I could tell. I was looking for it. I could tell. I have no idea what it looked like to other people who either didn't have an idea. I mean, I'm sure there were plenty of folks who showed up to the game on Saturday that had no clue that it was supposed to be a lavender out. 
Um, I, I wonder if they thought to themselves, oh, why, why is everyone wearing lavender or not? I don't know. Um, I was a little surprised by the students. There, there was a lot of folks not wearing lavender. Um, There's some weird color. Like There's a handful of people in red, handful of people in blue. I was a little surprised. Um, and then the other thing about the color lavender uh, for something like this, at least for the students, because a lot of the students got, uh, as part of their ICAT thing, lavender jerseys last year. Another part that makes that a tough look, because a lot of them are wearing those over a white hoodie or wearing those over a purple hoodie. So when you're looking into the stands, yeah, you see lavender, but you probably see just as much regular purple or white on those people who are wearing those lavender jerseys. Again, uh, I, I think that it, if we're going to do this in the future, if K-State's going to do this in the future, and, and very little is cooler in sports than a well-executed color out, um, I think they need to just go all out and, and try to get uh, sponsors for t-shirts, uh, put XL t-shirts on basically every seat, and then uh, I, I think that is the way to go. Uh, I, I, I want to give them credit. They had little signs above every section telling them what color to wear for the Texas game for the stripe out. Uh, I still think that basically after the KU game, starting on Wednesday, they need to go full blitz. They need to be shooting emails. They need to be doing more on Twitter. They need to hit people over the head uh, because purple and white is easy. There is no excuse. I understand part of the excuse. Lavender gear is selling out like crazy. And that'll be something maybe we talk about on uh, Wednesday, or maybe there's a special Friday show. I don't, I don't know uh, when we'll do it or w- what's going on, but but I think that is a great uh, discussion point. That is one of these niches for our show, which has always been uniforms, which has always been merchandise, and especially the cross section with K State's relationship with Nike. Now, to the overall atmosphere, folks, I, I think it's fair to say the Octagon of Doom is back. Uh, we've seen it without the students. You know, the the non-students came through on the 31st versus West Virginia, and then that first uh, Saturday home game. No, West Virginia was that Saturday home game, and then the Oklahoma State game um, before the students came back, where there was maybe a thousand students, uh, and rest of it was you know general sale GA tickets. Um, to fill up, you know, all the student sections and that, uh, uh, you know, that ba- those baseline uh, bench seats. So, so we've seen the non-students do their part. We've seen the students now for three straight games uh, fill their seats with capacity. Again, it's not the student section that most of us uh, had uh, back number of seats wise. We've we've seen a lot more luxury boxes. We've seen the media move. We've seen the band move. Uh, so, so that has shrunk the student section, not their footprint, but just uh, less seats for them. And I think, honestly, that's a good thing. I, I think the student section currently is perfect. I think it is the perfect size to create this rabid atmosphere. I don't think it's too big where you can never hope to fill it outside of a handful of games a year. I, I think the Octagon of Doom is back, and I, I think that it is turning into one of those can't-miss events on campus again now we'll see what happens when we start getting these uh midweek games that are not versus KU we'll see what happens I mean the TCU the Oklahoma game and the Baylor game 
uh, in the non-students, uh, th- there's thousands of seats that are left unsold. I'd imagine that it, as long as we keep winning, I, I would imagine those get filled. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, okay, do the students fill it up at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday versus TCU? Or, or is that on a Wednesday? I don't know. It's a, it's a Tuesday. They're going to fill it up 8 p.m. on a Tuesday versus TCU. What about 6 p.m. on a Tuesday versus Baylor? You know, what about, you know, Wednesday, home game Wednesday, senior night, 7 p.m. versus Oklahoma? I don't know. I think if we're in the Big 12 race, if we keep it going, uh, yes, I, I think more times than not, uh, it's going to be pretty darn filled. Will it be 90% versus 100? I don't know. Uh, but I've been just absolutely over the moon, overly p- pleased with the crowd. And I, I think the atmosphere has come back into Bramlage uh, bigger, better, and faster than I ever could have hoped for. And uh, as someone who enjoys going to live sporting events, I- I'm not going to sit here and tell uh, people, uh, oh, you have to go, all this type of stuff. If you if you prefer watching games at home on TV, uh, that's fine. Th- this, this statement isn't for you. But if you enjoy going to live sporting events, I, I think that... Bramlage Coliseum is in a point uh, where where it has to be truly, and I know it's a lot of fans or like you know, not even coach speak, administrator speak about fan experience, all this type of stuff. I think it is one of the best places to watch college basketball. Um, It is an arena where every seat in the place has great sight lines. Yes, some are better than others, of course. You know, if you're in a corner baseline versus you know sideline, yes, I get it. But they have different concession stand beer stands on the concourse uh, so you're never having to wait in a super long line uh, the concourses i think are big enough i move around there at halftime in pregame and i don't think it's overly cramped or anything like that i just think it is a great place especially now that the atmosphere is back if you're on the fence about getting into bramlage i mean again the the three midweek games you can still get very cheap tickets from K-State. I'd get in there. Let's get into the stuff that happened on the floor. Because on a night where we did not particularly shoot the ball well, uh, we dominated the game. There's no reason why we shouldn't have won this game by 20. Um, it, you know, I think the final score, 64-50, uh, was not even that close. We dominated the game now Um some of the Achilles heels showed themselves uh, during this game. Now, this was one that we, we have experienced, uh, you know, mainly in, excuse me, in non-conference play, uh, not being able to play with the fire for 40 minutes. You know, uh, things were gangbusters from the start in the first half. But then we come out and we, we let Florida go on an 11-0 run in the second half. That is not ideal uh, but, you know, once we turned it back on, we got it, got them within arm's length, and it never really was in doubt. This was a game that, and it's nice, it is nice to be on the side of winning a game that hasn't been in doubt. You know, it's been since the Nebraska game, and even the Nebraska game, I think, it, you know, I, I started worrying there for a little bit when we uh, when they went on that run, uh, you know, late in the, I guess, kind of, well, yeah, late in the second half, and we couldn't score uh, we ended up icing it out. It, it wasn't really too worryful. But, uh, you know, just kind of taking care of business and showing why 
we are the team of caliber that we were. Florida is a fine team. They're actually a pretty good defensive team. I think when you look at a lot of the advanced metrics for defense, they're a top 20, top 30 defensive team in the nation. Uh, They've been on a hot streak. Are they going to be an NCAA tournament team? Probably not. Uh, But being able to take care of business and find a way to win uh, comfortably in a different way than we have kind of shown. Um, It's been all year, it's really been the offense. It's basically been, hey, we're going to outscore you. We are going to uh, run up and down the floor. We're going to score in the 80s or more, and we're going to win this game. Uh, we just suffocated Florida on defense. And where I was a little worried coming into this game, I, I thought there was, I, I thought if K-State is as even close to as good as we all think that they are, uh, this game was going to be a win. You know, I, 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 I thought that, hey, maybe it could be close. Uh, and the reason why I thought it could be close is because they have, uh, I mean, their best player is a big man. They have some traditional bigs. They have some guys that their style of play uh, causes us some issues. Now, we went all in on double teaming the post and selling out to get the ball out of the paint, uh, especially in the first half. Uh, and, and there were a couple times we got cooked on that, uh, and, and that just kind of happens. Uh, if you give a look enough times, you will get ways. There is no perfect defense. There is no way uh, to pitch a shutout. So there's a couple times where you had the double team, you weren't aggressive enough, you gave uh, the player in this post a little bit too much space, and they had an easy, uh, you know, dunk or you know, pass off that led to a dunk or a layup or something like that. It happens, you know, not going to lose any sleep over it. But for the most part, this was a rabid defense. This was a defense that played with great communication, great athleticism, and really gave a blueprint into how this team can find ways to win games down the stretch of this of Big 12 play and in March on nights where, hey, maybe the efficient scoring, especially beyond three-point, just isn't there. The three-point shooting was not good at all. And we just decided, all right, you know, the three ball isn't falling. We are going to suffocate you. We are going to grab rebounds, which we did, and we are going to see this game out. Uh, I was very pleased with that. Um, Let's go to the only real negative I have uh, because uh, ultimately I think we did a lot better on stopping Florida from second chance points. I think we did a good job of not giving up points off turnovers. My issue now is kind of coming to uh, us not getting those second chance points. We had seven rebounds in the first half and we had zero second chance points. Now, it's kind of similar to where we find ourselves on defense. On defense, you know, we're one of the better first-shot defense teams in the Big 12. But, for whatever reason, and I think there's a lot of reasons, and Coach Tang actually touched on uh, some of those reasons, we, we have not been able to stop our opponents 
from scoring on that second chance. Similarly, on offense, we're one of the more efficient offenses in the Big 12. We're one of the top offenses in the Big 12. But for whatever reason, we can't capitalize on the offensive rebounds we get. I don't have a hypothesis for these except for, hey, we're just missing contested shots at the rim um, on these putbacks. And uh, that's just the long and short of it. I don't know how you fix that. I don't know if it's something that you even spent a ton of time on, uh, you know, in season trying to fix. Ultimately, grabbing offensive rebounds and either, hey, trying to be strong, going back up for it, or kicking it out, resetting the offense with 20 seconds on the shot clock. Uh, ultimately, hey, whatever it is, I'm fine with it. Uh, but it is something to keep an eye on. It is something that I always try to make note of at halftime. And I think it was just alarming to have seven offensive rebounds. I think at halftime it was seven offensive rebounds to one. Yet we couldn't get a second chance point. So it's it, that's kind of the bad. Um, and, and I'm not going to lose too much sleep over it. Um, the other bad and, uh, you know... <laughs> It's hard to really be like, oh, this was bad. When you look at it, the team only had 12 turnovers. And even Coach Tang said, hey, I'm going to own up to it. You know, one of those is on me. Five of them came from Marquise Noel, which, you know, he had eight eight assists. You're always going to take a positive assist-to-turnover ratio. Two of those came from Keontae Johnson. Um, it, it, It is tough. It is very tough when your two best players do account for so many of those turnovers. It's tough. It's tough to see because some of them are just stupid driving into traffic or just trying to do too much, trying to find the home run play. But then you have to balance that with, oh, shit, they are more than capable of not only a home run play but a grand slam play as well. Uh, so, in a game where you're kind of searching for some of the negatives, that that's the other one that, hey, 12 turnovers isn't bad, but seven of them coming from Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson, you, you would like it if your star players could clean that up a little bit. The only other thing I'm going to touch on, uh, what, what, you know, on the negative side before we go positive, I mean, I, I touched on it, only 37% from the field, 23% from three-ish, uh, one of four from three, Tyke Green, O of one, Desi Sills, O of two, Cam Carter, one of three, Tomlin, O of one, Keontae, O of one, and Marquise Noel, two of four. Usually, if this team is going to get it done, we're going to have to shoot better from three uh, than that, usually. you know. Uh, again, the defense stepped up big time. You do worry about things. I'm starting to worry a little bit about Desi Sills coming off of that massive game versus KU. Uh, he's had one point, zero points, and four points. He's gone 0 of 5, 0 of 3, and 2 of 5 from the free uh, from the field. He's gone 0 of 2, 0 of 3, 0 of 1 from three point. He's gone 1 of 2, 0 of 2, 0 of 1 from the free throw line after going 8 of 9 versus KU. So and he fouled out last night. He had two turnovers last night. One turnover the at Iowa State and two versus Texas Tech. Desi Sills is start, starting to find himself in a little bit of a funk. Uh, 
So that is kind of the negatives. You know, probably spent more time on negatives than I should for a game where we dominated uh, the entire game. Let's get into the positives, especially with the players. You know, I, I want to start with someone else, but it's tough not to go to Marquise Noel when he was two assists off, two assists and one rebound away from K-State's first ever triple-double. Now, if you, if you want to kind of give Marquise a little bit of a hard time, he had all eight of those assists in the first half. Didn't have an assist in the second half. Again, the second half was a little disjointed uh, because, I mean, hell, it, it was it was under wraps. There was a little bit of an element of just trying to see the game out. Um, and, and again, you know, when the, when the team isn't scoring, when you're not shooting that well, again, he, he had more than enough assist-worthy passes uh, if the team helps him out and, and he gets that triple-double one or and one rebound away. But again, he is kind of getting back to uh, that production on offense. Uh, when, when you have a game where you're only scoring in, in, in at 64, you're only scoring 64, so no one is going to go off for like 20 points or anything like that. But when you look at that stat line, 13 points, 8 assists, Nine rebounds, two steals. Again, it's hard not to truly love the game that Marquise Noel put out there. And, and I have a feeling he is going to be very hungry going into Allen Fieldhouse on Tuesday. Next, and, and, and I'm kind of working up to maybe the biggest storyline from this game, but let's go to Keontae Johnson. Uh, Keontae was kind of catching a little bit of flack on Twitter uh, you could hear some grumbling in the uh, in, in the stadium because uh, he just wasn't quite, you know, all American level Keontae Johnson. He was just under thirty three percent from the field. I get it, five of six uh, from the field. Uh, he he did go three or four from the free throw line, which was good. Uh, so so there was a little bit of grumbling, especially I think he only had four points. Uh, at halftime, but this guy ended up leading all players with 11 rebounds. By the end of the game, he had 13 points, so it's another double-double for Keontae Johnson, who who is, uh, you know, I, I mean, look, we're not even at the halfway point in Big 12 play. You know, sa- you know Saturday will be everyone's 10th game in Big 12 play. So the midweek games, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that is the final game of the first half of Big 12 play. Keontae Johnson is still, and Marquise Noel, both of them are still very real contenders for Big 12 player of the year if things go the way we want them to when you're talking about uh, you know where we are in the Big 12 race. And Keontae Johnson having seemingly a meh-type game uh, and having a double-double, 13-11, and 11, leading all, all players in rebounds. And then, what, was he number two of all players? He was tied for second most points in the game? No, tied for first. Tied for first most points in the game. Marquee, Keontae Johnson, with all the emotion, tied up, going up against his former team, leads all players with 11 rebounds, is tied with Marquise Noel and Florida's uh, Castleton with 13 points. 
I mean, come on. What are we even doing here? Keontae Johnson uh, truly is, I think, when you're talking about pure basketball skill, if you're talking about the level of basketball player that he is, I think he has to be the best uh, since Dean Wade. And then, you know, he's up there with Dean Wade, with Rodney Magruder, with Michael Beasley, when you're talking about guys who aren't guards, you know, because, you know, Marquise Noel, Barry Brown, uh, you know, Nigel Pack, Jacob Pullen, of course, you know, guards and, you know, wings and bigs, all different type of players. But Keontae Johnson, even even when doing all that, um, still leads all players in rebounds and ties for the lead in scoring. Now, I, I do want to bring this up. He went up. For the windmill, and it, I think if he throws down that windmill, uh, I, I think it would have been a top 20 loud moment in Bramlage Coliseum. And we've had a couple like truly loud all-time type moments this year. Uh, I, I think his alley-oop dunk uh, to finish off the game versus Oklahoma State, I think that was one of them. I think the alley-oop dunk... Uh, to finish things off versus Kate. Well, not finish things off, but give us that lead versus KU. Uh, I think that's up there in the top 20 as well. So he was going for another dunk that would have done it, and he just couldn't quite get it up up there. Um, I don't blame him for trying to throw it down. It would have been an all-time type moment. Um, but he had a little bit of fun with it in the postgame. And Jerome Tang, uh, at least to the media, didn't seem mad. He's like, yeah, yeah, go for it, young, young, young buck. So... Uh, that would have been great. Let's get to, again, I'm going to keep pushing the lead down uh, the ladder. Uh, Naquan Tomlin, uh, I think he kind of answered the bell some uh, after having no rebounds versus Iowa State. 11.6 rebounds, only 24 minutes, only had one foul. I think he played uh, within himself. I think he showed his athleticism. You know, he was 4 of 11 from the field. Uh, not great. He had three of his four free throws. Again, no one was great from the field. No one was above 50. Per- Actually, no. <laughs> of course, the one guy, uh, and, and I'm going to keep bearing the lead, uh, was above uh, 50%. But he, he grabbed those rebounds. I, I will say there there's still a few times where he's playing volleyball instead of just grabbing the ball on some rebounds. I think that truly is going to be the next step because he could be a double-double machine. He, if he just decides, hey, I'm more athletic and I have more skill than almost anybody uh, that I'm going up against, I'm just going to go up and grab this rebound instead of trying to play volleyball. Uh, that will be the next step for Naquan Tomlin. Also thought he played very good defense. Uh, and, and I think that they set up and I think they had a great defensive game plan uh, going up against Florida's bigs. And I thought Tomlin was great. Uh, Cam Carter, listen to this, Cam Carter, nine points, four assists, five rebounds, uh, grabbed a couple steals as well, two steals, four or seven from the field, one of three in 29 minutes. Cam Carter, again, and this is, this is why, uh, I I think this team has the potential to make noise, uh, in February and in March. We've seen games where Cam Carter kind of goes quiet. And luckily in those games, Desi Sills picks up the torch and he keeps running being that guy. We've seen Desi Sills start to struggle in a few of these games. And what happens? 
Cam Carter has become a little bit of a staff, staff, or stat stuffer. You know, Cam Carter is starting to show that ability in that talent, in that game that a lot of us fell in love with. Cam Carter has been the darling of all the transfers, uh, basically up until the point that we got Keontae Johnson. We're really starting to see him become a dependable scorer. We've seen almost every single game that he's played that he is a plus, plus, well, probably just a plus defender. But he's shown signs of being a plus, plus defender. Uh, So he is the guy who I think is setting up to be that alpha next year when uh, Marquise Noel no longer has eligibility. I think we're starting to see the signs that he can be that guy. And it was very encouraging to see that type of game that he had. Uh, Let's knock out just some of the stuff on the bench. Uh, Shout out to Nate uh, Aubrey. Aubrey. Nate Aubrey. There we go. Uh, he is a super senior transfer. Uh, he actually was a two-sport star at Manhattan Christian College, soccer and basketball. Uh, I think he was a Manhattan. He's one of the walk-ons, and he got his first point as a Wildcat. Uh, shout out to him. We already talked about the disappointing game from Desi Sills. Desi did grab five total rebounds, had an assist. Um, he, he had those two turnovers fouled out in 22 minutes. Tyke Green. Really just 10 minutes of energy, uh, missed his only shot attempt, did grab two rebounds, and had two steals in just those 10 minutes. Ish grabbed six rebounds. Again, I, I think they were challenged. And, and let me talk about this. Jerome Tang said that part of the reason why we rebounded better, especially defensive rebounds, that is because we were winning our one-on-one defensive battles was saying that when you have to switch, when you have to over-rotate, it creates easy offensive rebounds for your opponent. It sounds like they really drilled things leading into Saturday after that Iowa State game. And the man that we are waiting to talk about is a big part of it as well. But I I thought Ish, again, grabbing those six rebounds, coming after that zero rebound performance that we've all talked about uh, versus Iowa State, uh, I, I think it really showed something. Bebe Igiola, uh, he only had five minutes. He grabbed two offensive rebounds, actually. All t- his two rebounds uh, were offensive rebounds. Uh, he had two fouls as well, only played five minutes. But let's get into the guy who we have, uh, I've been dancing around, and it is the big news. We saw 19 minutes from the Flying Dutchman himself. He is truly back, David Gasson. Four or five from the field, and I think that was all in the first half. I, I, I don't think he had much production in the first half, um, you know, which is fine. Hey, I, I have no complaints at all, um, but it is so good to have him back. And the hope is, at least I know my hope is, is that we uh, see him in a, a big role on Tuesday and then every Big 12 game moving forward. I know I was a little scared. It looked like he might have turned his ankle a little bit, but he did come back into the game. Uh, so I'm hoping that we, we can see at least 20 minutes from him on Tuesday because we saw it completely changes everything. His footwork, his speed, his hands, his work rate, you combine all that together on offense and defense, it completely changes things. It gives us that added dimension. 
Now, is he a type of guy who can guard Eddie Lampkin one-on-one or anything like that? Probably not. But his speed, his athletic ability, he really can put some of these teams who have those big lunking guys kind of in a tough spot when it comes to uh, you know having to guard him, having to try to keep up with his athleticism, his speed. We saw it down by the rim on all of his buckets. We saw his ability to stay in front of his defenders. We saw the ability how he can switch off on guys and he's not going to get cooked up by a guard as well. David Gasson coming back could be that linchpin, that thing that gives us another shot in the arm as we get ready for the final 10 games of Big 12 play. And it is absolutely massive. Uh, we'll see. He, he himself talked about how his conditioning is not where he wants it to be. So we're going to see if he can turn around, if he can make that Saturday to Tuesday turnaround and give us you know 19 to 23 minutes. I think that will be massive. I, I think we, uh, you know, if, if we're going to beat KU, I, I think that that is going to be something that probably needs to happen. Uh, but, but I'm hopeful that it will. I'm hopeful that it will. I, I think that we have a great training staff, a great strength and conditioning, uh, staff. And I think that they can get him ready so he can play those 20 minutes. Uh, and then we'll see. And that is like a fun thing. Again, as you start playing people for the second time, no one in the big 12 has seen David Gasson yet. So again, that is like this new personnel piece that every team we play has to deal with that they didn't have to deal with the first time. Except for Oklahoma, we still get them twice uh, in the final half of the season. Wrapping up, just kind of talking about uh, that game. Again, I I was pleased. I I think everyone should be over the moon happy with that game. Um, And and it's just what the doctor ordered. I, I know this was the last time we were doing the SEC Big 12 Challenge. I like that it is in the middle of the season. Uh, Coach Tangstrap said that he hates it. Uh, so, so it is what it is. I don't, I don't know uh, what the future will hold. Um, I think it would make sense to get things going with the Big Ten uh, because uh, the ACC is leaving that challenge on the table as well. But we'll see what happens. I'll probably be a Fox decision. But I'll, I'll say this: uh, Big Twelve versus the SEC. I mean, mind the gap, SEC. Uh, 7-3 in the final challenge. Uh, The Big 12 won the challenge five times. The SEC won it three times. And it was a draw twice. The cumulative record, the Big 12 ran away with it. Um, And again, it should have been more. When Oklahoma houses Alabama, it should have been more. Uh, TCU and Iowa State, and I know some people got mad at me for saying they pooped their pants. Uh, which I, I, I stand by. I'm not backing off of it. But they tried to talk about, oh, injuries, oh, playing on the road. No, you pooped your pants and really prevented the Big 12 from uh, a, a record-setting, emphatic win. Um, everyone has injuries. Everyone has to do that. You're playing inferior opponents, uh, vastly inferior opponents, and you couldn't get it done. So the Cyclones and TCU really let down the Big 12 in the final Big 12 SEC Challenge uh, for pooping their pants on the road. It happens, uh, but but the Big 12, it, it is without a doubt. The Big 12 is the best basketball conference. Uh, it's not even close. I truly believe if you put Texas Tech 
or West Virginia in the SEC, they are contending, maybe not for the championship, maybe not for the SEC championship, but they're contending, uh, you know, for a top four seed in the SEC tournament. Uh, Oklahoma obviously proved that when they beat uh, Alabama, beat their breaks off. I, I think you could take uh, the bottom half of the Big 12 and you put them in any other conference and there's a very real chance that they're dancing. There are 10 NCAA tournament quality teams in the Big 12. Uh, and I think we just saw it a little bit more uh, you know, on Saturday. Um, massive one on Tuesday. Um, have not swept KU in regular season basketball in a really long time. Would I bet on it? No. Would I predict it? No. Uh, but we are more athletic. I think, especially with David Gasson coming back, I think we have more difference makers. I think you have more guys uh, beyond the starting five that you can depend on. Um, but winning on the road is tough. Winning on the road is tough. That's what makes those wins at Texas and at Baylor so valuable. And we'll, we'll talk about this more tomorrow. Um, but it it it's so valuable uh, to have those road wins. And every road win from here on out uh, is massive if you want to be looking at the Big 12 race, if you want to be looking at the race for seeding and all that type of stuff. Um, can you basically, uh, can you force KU to have uh, everyone except for one guy? Are you going to let one guy go off and then, for the most part, have everyone else play a minus game? I don't know. Can they hold Marquise Noel's scoring production down? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it, it is going to be a heavyweight type game, uh, 7 p.m. I, I I think that there's going to be more K-State fans in Allen Fieldhouse than there's been in a really long time. There's usually, you know, 1,200, 1,300 K-State fans in there. I think there's probably going to be upwards of 2, maybe even 3,000 K-State fans in Allen Fieldhouse. So if you're going to be one of those folks in Allen Fieldhouse, wear your purple, wear your lavender, make some noise, uh, especially, you know, when things start going right for us. You know, make a little bit of noise. Uh, don't don't give a second thought about, you know, anyone trying to give you trouble for wearing your colors in someone else's building. Have a fun night. I was in there the night uh, Jim Waldridge, Cartier Martin, uh, you know, Drama Diara, uh, when they pulled off that upset, Clint Stewart, I was in the building, and, and it will always be one of those top basketball games I've attended. So uh, if you're going, if you're on the fence about going, if you find your way in Allen Fieldhouse tomorrow evening, uh, I hope you get that memory. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that game tomorrow. We'll talk about really the Big 12 race and how everything is setting up from a K-State perspective tomorrow as well. Uh, before we sign off, uh, you know I love all the boneheads, uh, but there's a handful that I love more than anyone else. And I want to give a special shout-out to one of my favorite boneheads, Alice, uh, who just went through a surgery down in Texas. I'm always thinking about you. I'm always uh, you know, smiling back on all the memories. My mom, uh, I'll give a, I'll give a shout-out to my sister-in-law, Andrea. She... Uh, digitize all these different old photo books that my parents had and all these old photos. And then I got my mom for her birthday, a digital frame. And 
my mom sends me pictures uh, of, you know, me as a baby and then, uh, you know, me and Alice and uh, it's, it's always uh, so fun to see those old pictures. I know you listen to almost every episode and uh, just know that I'm always thinking about you. I'm always wishing you the best and uh, I'm always here for you. So I want to give a special go cats to Alice, my favorite bonehead. And uh, that's all we have until tomorrow. So for rest of you K-State fans, you know I love you. You know my dog Chauncey is the best co-host and the best dog in the world. So let's let's you know let's get ready for it. You know, uh, let's get ready for Tuesday. I'm hoping uh, no one on Sports Talk Radio is talking about the game because I'm hoping that the Chiefs win. Um, I'm recording this at noon on Kansas Day. So also happy belated Kansas Day to everyone listening as well. Whether you are still living in the home of the range or you're away. Uh, just know the Sunflower State's always waiting for you. You're always welcome here. So we love you guys, and go Cats. It's time to get set for the cat attack. You can feel the excitement. You can feel it coming on. For Kansas State, the feeling's growing strong. You can join in the action. This is where you want to be. With Kansas State, come on, set your spirit free. Kansas State, our pride is with the cats. Kansas State, come on, join the cat attack. Kansas State, excitement's in the air. Kansas State, the fun is being there. Having a good time there. Purple and white we share. Showing our colors Podcast Network.